0: Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style.
1: Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected, plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So now you know who you're talking to, Toyota the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years with a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver seriously dear gas prices do you really think you could stand in our way think again toyota hybrids find yours at toyota.com
0: toyota let's go places based on manufacturer estimates cy 2000 through 2021 sales
1: Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera, joined by my co-host, Mark Mosey. It's just the two of us today. Everton are off this week. And not to be overly predictable, Mark, but it just feels like a good time to have one of those take-your-temperature conversations about where Everton find themselves at the... uh, I don't know. I can't do the math. How many games are there every season? Uh what uh, 38 games? Are
0: we getting close uh, to a quarter? The the fifth. The, we're at the one-fifth mark. The, the fabled twenty percent. Fabled
1: one-fifth mark of the season, where we've already had what three international breaks <laughs> or something like that. I it yeah. feels like more than that. This is what is this the second international break, or is this the
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels more than that, because I think we we were all done with international football in August, weren't we? I mean, on the back of two major tournaments simultaneously, I think certainly from an England perspective, I was ready to just not see them again until the World Cup. But yeah, they they have a way of dragging you back into Andorra away or whoever the (laughs) hell they are playing this week.
1: It's the nation, Nations League or, or something, which I had completely yeah. forgotten about its existence until I read about it, read that, uh, is it Luca Dean is in the, is, or France is in the well, semi-finals of the, the, the hallowed storied Nations League or something like that? I, I've lost track.
0: <laughs> Nations League is at the same point of the Europa Conference when no one's actually sure how much they are Really, to cherish that competition, I think we're all just kind of standing off for a couple of years to ascertain how important players and managers think it is, and then we'll all collectively make our mind up about how much we care about it. But no, with, with the with the sheer fact that it is international football, and I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling to to find any form of enthusiasm about it. But I don't know. It, I think it's a split one for Everton, Rob, in terms of going into the the international break because. Obviously, I think we're quite happy to see it from a from an individual player injury point of view. I think we've obviously got some some key members of the squad who are absolutely waiting for a two-week spell of no competitive matches just to get a little bit of competitive match fitness or, or maybe just to, to actually get some form of injury recovery. Um, and I think on the flip side of that, we're, we're going into this with a really good sense of momentum and good form. And I think obviously this is exactly the point in in a spell of that nature where you don't want that interrupted and you want to bring on the next game as quick as possible. But I think for me, the problems that we've had with the squad and, and with our injuries, I think that that just about tips it in favour of wanting the international break at the moment. Yeah. I mean, if we were to go away to Old Trafford and convincingly win 3-0 and it was the the performance of the decade, then I think you'd be looking for the next game to come as as quickly as possible. But I think we're at that nice balanced stage where we're comfortable with what we're doing. We're seeing a, a bit of a game plan and a, an identity to this side. However, let's just take a breather, get a few of our better players back and and see where the next fifth of the season takes us uh, going, going into the going into the cherished 20 to 40% stage of the season yeah yeah it's just
1: a remind i mean it's more of uh, i mean i think you're absolutely right on all the points about i mean if you if you uh, if you look at the state of our squad in terms of injuries this could not have come at a better time and and especially to be able to kind of uh, cap that magical 20%-ish number off with a, a really good performance at United, um, which really could have been three points, but I, I, I can't... It's hard to be disappointed with that. And, you know, from that standpoint, I, I think I'm I'm just... I'm like you. I think we kind of got to a, a place where we can take, you know, take a little breather and, and kind of assess from there. Um, well, Mark, what do you... Uh, boy, it, it's kind of the question I suppose that at all these particular milestones that, that you can ask, um, I, I think it's easy every year uh, whenever we're hitting an international break to do the whole, so what do you think of Everton so far kind of question. Yeah. And and I think, I, I think that much like um, I, I think, much like over the years, how I've gotten sick of having the same old answers to, to these questions, I've probably been just as tired asking the same questions about you know when when we're going to get a little bit of fortune coming our way, when we're going to not have an important player injured, when we're going you know. But ba- basically, I think the tenor of a lot of the, the discussion at these various milestone points was has always kind of been about what we haven't achieved, where we've fallen short, where, where the, 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 the the good, good fortune or lack of lack thereof has kind of, you know, stricken us. But what does seem to feel different right now, um, and and granted last time, last season at this time, we were just kind of all drunk on Everton and, and just the ridiculous pie in the sky start that we'd had to the season, I guess. But, um, this what we're seeing right now does feel and I, and I know I use that word. It's probably the, the the word of the season so far for me is about feeling um, because this is not fundamentally that different of a squad in terms of their makeup, but yet they feel like a completely different group on some level. Um, I, this is probably for me the most, I don't know, um, the most no no excuses group that I've seen so far, if that makes sense. I mean, they don't seem, they they seem to be making their own fortune, if you will. They seem to be, they they seem so far to not be uh, falling into that temptation of using a player being out or multiple players being out as an excuse to just kind of, I, I hate to say mail it in, but just to kind of, Go out there and just see what happens, and you know, no, no expectations. And I, they, they've they've gone into every one of these games, um, even against sides uh, that you would say represent a relatively soft on ramp into the season in terms of the fixture list. But I think United was kind of the ultimate example of how this group of players seems to go into to these types of scenarios looking to grab success as opposed to hoping that success stumbles and falls into their hands by some weird, you know, kind of uh, happenstance. So I, I don't, I, I kind of wonder what you make of it. I, I'm all the caveats aside about how we're only, you know, partial partial away through the season, but this team does seem to have established what's the word of the week identity, uh, 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 a style, you know, I mean, I, I I, think identity is so tied to style sometimes or formation or uh, I think that those don't even necessarily apply here. There's, there's something intangibly grittier and tougher about this group that would have to encourage you. Wouldn't it? Because of the players that we are going to see return to the side Um I, I don't know. I mean, I get, we'll get into like all the reasons for what we're seeing or, or kind of assess what those might be, but what do you make of this group so far, Mark?
0: Uh, well, what, the one thing I would say to it is that to summarize what you've just said there, that feels like there's a real substance to this start of the season. And I know that I, I, I hesitate to, to get too, drawn into any particular start of a season because no one does starts to a season like Everton in recent years I mean you could you could absolutely drop yourself back into the same situation 12 months ago and and yes be carried away by the sheer level of flair that this team had but this this as we've said in in recent podcasts feels a lot more real yes I'm I'm surprised by the points tally uh, and I'm absolutely delighted with it and to go into this international break while we joint fourth or third in the league. I mean, no one yeah. no one really ever gave it the time in pre-season to think about what Everton's start of the season would actually look like. I think we were all just waiting to see at what stage of the season does the managerial-related implosion come. Uh, and uh, that that seems way off at the moment. But there, there seems like a... A real innocent truth about this this side at the moment, it feels like yes, we've been exposed to to so much in terms of a depleted squad already, and obviously to add injuries on top of that. It just leaves a real raw spine of a team that, as we've said in recent weeks they they see it as their duty to fight for each other, and I think no no game highlighted that more so than the one at Old Trafford at the weekend and I think you, yes, you can look at individual games and say that they they existed kind of on a knife edge. Um, you you probably look at the Burnley game and and the Aston Villa game. On the flip side of it, a game that we didn't manage to get the result in as existing within like kind of ten minutes within the ninety that ultimately decided the game. But it, it feels as though Everton are getting the results in in most of the games. I'd say we're getting the results that we deserve. Um, I, I think, on the whole, we deserve to win all of the, the home games. Aston Villa, we weren't really at the races, but we kind of pushed for it in that 10 minutes and got found out. You know, that happens. Uh, Manchester United, much to the the disappointment of Sky Sports' narrative after the game, I think that was a, a, a relatively even game. Um, Sky Sports seems surprised by the fact that Man United created chances at home. I mean, that, that will happen against a squad and, and elite players like that. But... Everton are definitely worth their point in that game. Right. Uh, I think you, you you probably look at the Leeds game as a hard fought away game. Yes, on the face of it, a, a point was was a fair result. Brighton was probably for my money the most impressive game of the season so far because Man United away. You, you will occasionally go there and do what we did to them and get a point. That will happen. What Everton teams are not historically capable of is sensing weakness in opposition home sides and exploiting it Mm -hmm. at the right times and I think that was the that was the most impressive and surprising element of Everton's season so far it was down to an individual moment of brilliance from Damari Gray yes but that, that was probably the one result Rob that gave me hope that this this thing had substance and I think what for everything that we would probably have expected tactically from Rafael Benitez, we, for my money, I, I expected Rafael Benitez to come into Everton and be able to set a side up like he did at the weekend on Saturday against Man United and say, well, we're going to be tough to break down. Yes, we're going to need a, a moment from Damari Gray or Abdelai Decore or Andros Townsend. And we, we got one of those from all three of those players at the same time at the weekend. But what what I didn't necessarily expect from this side was for them to be quite as clinical as we've seen. I think you know the the XG gods will come out here, but I, I think that Everton have been probably one of the more clinical sides, and I, I'm not sitting here worried about the fact that we have been clinical. And you know, are we going to need a higher level of chance creation later in the season? And you know, that these the shots are going to stop going in. I, I don't feel like that because. We've got multiple dangerous players and I think certainly looking at the squad and, and certain individuals that I'm sure we'll reflect on today, what has buoyed me most about this squad is that all of the players that we we highlighted in pre-season as really needing an important start to the season and an important season in general have looked as though all of those first season jitters have been shaken away. And the, the two that obviously come to mind in, in that mould are Abdelhadi Decoré and Alan in the middle of the park, mm. and the, the former more so because not only did he come into this season with the expectation of simply being better second time round, which is is definitely expected of, of any sign, but in particular one that you've you spent big money on. But he also had the expectation of a manager. Who publicly called on him to be better and to do more and to to be more important to this side? And yeah. I'm I'm struggling. I'm probably going back to Marwan Fellaini to to look at a player who I've seen as as impressive and as important to an eleven because you you will occasionally lose players to to injury and in particular attacking players and your flair players, and we've done all of that this season, just seven seven games in, and already I'm sitting back now thinking, well, this this side can live without Richardson for a couple of games because there's Damari Gray and there's Townsend, and, and this side can live without Calvert-Lewin for a couple of games, maybe not as much so because Rondon is not necessarily anywhere near Calvert-Lewin in terms of quality. But we have a way of adapting. We can use Damari Gray in it in a different mould, and we, we can be slightly more defensive in terms of our setup. But I'm looking at Abdelai Decore, Rob, as, as being someone who already uh, – I fear an Everton side without him. Uh, and, yeah. and that's not as a, a negative outlook about the rest of the squad. It's simply down to his outright importance. And – it. You look at him technically, I don't think he does anything particularly brilliantly. I don't think he's any more than an eight for any technical attribute. But the fact that he can he can do so much with so much energy and be, be so important to everything that Everton do defensively, offensively, and even just in terms of general possession play, which I think he was pretty poor at last season. He, he was one of those players who the more that he was involved on the ball in Everton's build-up play, the worse that we looked. And I think if you think about that in Mm -hmm. terms of how he's been able to turn that round this season, he's made a a massive transformation. And it's evident in every part of Everton's build-up play. And I'm not sure how much you put that down to him personally, and obviously the, the importance that someone like Benitez has put on him on a personal level. And how much of Alan's gameplay has allowed him to to go and be expressive and do that? And I know that central midfielders will always get coupled together. They'll always be, you know, one's only playing well because of the other. And Alan has has played well this season, but I, I think the Corey's gone over and above that. I, I think it, it's more than Alan's playing quite well, so he's allowing the Corey to do other things and be a little bit more expansive. I actually think the Corey as an individual on on a sole basis has been way more impressive than just being part of a, a good couple in the middle of the park. And I I I I was ready to see him sit and hold on Saturday. I was ready to not see that that 30-40 mm-hmm. yard burst and run that we saw at Burnley and, and in a couple of home games that that yes you expect him to be a little bit more dynamic in but that that particular move that that counter attack for the goal at the weekend Rob that was mm-hmm. that was probably the Everton that I've always wanted to see but <laughs> never never probably expected to see yes at man united the way but also in rafael benitez's side because that that was not the vision that I've been sold but it is a nod to the impressive nature of benitez saying well I've got these players. I've got Damari Gray and Townsend and um, Abdelai De Corey, who is willing to to make that breaking forty yard run, and that that just gave me to to touch on a word that you said, all of the feels on Saturday because mm-hmm. watching watching that goal, not only watching it back, which is something that I've done with loads of Everton goals this year, is rewatch them because. They are sheer moments of joy, which even looking mm-hmm. at James Rodriguez last season, I, I didn't watch goals back to the extent that I have done this season. But when you see Damari Gray get on the ball and you see DeCorey make that run and you see Townsend at the bottom of your screen make that run, you get you get that excitement that I've probably not had since the Theo Wolcott goal at Watford. Where yeah. Three three thousand Everton fans just knew what was going to happen there. And I don't know if you saw Rob. I, I posted on Twitter this week the the video of uh, the camera that just solely watched the Everton fans for for the whole of that move. Yes, and to yeah. see to see that that collective joint excitement. At I every think minute, the away fans knew
1: that was going in too. By the way, from from some of the dejection absolutely. you could hear as the build up was happening.
0: <laughs> but the, 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 the rhythmic audio that, that those 3,000 fans generated during that move was just everything, I mean if, for anyone who's ever been to any form of Everton game at all at the, at the point where you know that a move is going to lead to a really good goal opportunity that that, that kind of collective symphony that you get from the crowd is just fantastic. But yeah, I think that in in summary, Rob, the thing that's impressed me most is that Rafael Benitez has surprised me. I I was willing to buy into him. I was willing to to accept what a stereotypical Rafael Benitez side may look like. I don't don't think that was ever going to be as negative as what I'm portraying here. But it's just really intelligent football management. He's using the strengths that we have to create the best results and the best output and the fact that we sit where we do in in the premier league table at this stage suggests that he he is absolutely getting the best out of absolutely every every individual in that squad. Yeah. You know, it's it's
1: funny because I think that so much of the talk about Carlo Ancelotti was that he was not someone who was particularly uh Maybe devout, if you will, in terms of a particular formation or system. Yep. the idea was that, hey, he looks at what he's got and he figures out a way he he he, decide, he figures out a way to get the players to be set up to succeed. I think the difference now is that it feels like that idea is something that a is not just limited to 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 Ancelotti obviously but but more moreover that someone like Benitez says the same thing but not only says i've got to look at this squad and get the very best out of their collective strengths but here's my plan for it a b c d e f g you know what i mean and and i think <laughs> that I think that's, you know, you said you were, you've been kind of surprised by Benitez. Um, I think I have been too. And I think that most of us have in, in ways that maybe we don't recognize because I think that the word fundamentals gets thrown around a lot. Like we all, Kind of thought as we were begrudgingly swallowing this news that Rafa Benitez would be the next Everton manager, and processing our histories and our feelings about all of that. I think we all, I think many of us, to a man, said, "Well, he's a good fundamental manager, you know. He'll he'll you set know. them up well, and blah blah blah." And when you talk about it like that, uh, it's it's very it's very clinical sounding. It's very on paper sounding, right? Mm -hmm. But to your point about the goals we've seen and the actual end result or the product of those fundamentals actually being employed through a very strategic combination of getting players fit, getting them on the same page, giving them roles that they could grasp, getting them to, you know, you use the word symphony. I mean, that's the thing. If you watch, you know, these counterattacking goals in particular, um, you've got to have players that can, that have the skills to pull off some of the, you know, move that, you know, let's say that there are four or five individual moves that start that start and finish a counterattacking goal, right? You you have to have guys that can pull it off from a skill perspective. Like you talked about DeCorey's you know, he may not have, have one exceptional skill but maybe he's got several really good skills that equal a good player but I think even more than that what it feels like and what it seems like watching this side play under Benitez is that this is the first time I've looked at our group of players and thought to myself this is a pretty smart group of players this is a group mm-hmm. of players who are using their brains and understanding in those moments cuz cuz i think about how many times over the years we've talked about the fact that we couldn't put passes together in midfield And that's partly a skill thing, but it's also, frankly, a lot about decision-making. We've had a lot of guys that, for whatever, individually or in in, in a vacuum could make a good decision, but you couldn't get the person they were passing it to to also make a good decision and pass it to another person who was about to make the right decision. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm probably, I might be boiling this down into something far too elementary sounding, but... I think what has surprised me about Benitez is is that he's taken the things we thought that each of the, his predecessors kind of possessed and found a way to actually one actualize these elements, but two, to actually combine multiple things. Like for me, at least Based on the available evidence so far, you can make the argument that Benitez is the best manager we've had since David Moyes from the standpoint that the team has the, quote, basics down. Like we use that. That's another word we use a lot. The basics. Well, the the basics of things like effort, the basics of things like. Uh, making a smart decision, even sometimes when it's the conservative decision to, you know, to to live to fight another day defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're more disciplined. Uh, the, the strategy is sound. Like, I think every one of these past managers had maybe one of those things going for them, but they would fail in another. Like, Roberto Martinez, I think, had a good strategy at times. But I don't think that his teams increasingly did the basics well, and they certainly weren't fit. Um, you know, I think that Ronald Koeman's side was, you know, you could argue that their fitness was pretty decent, but they didn't seem to have much of a strategy. Uh, they didn't mm-hmm. seem to have much of a plan beyond the formation itself. I mean, we get so wrapped up, by the way, in formation and style that I think we lose sight of the fact that good management in football and is oftentimes finding alternative paths to win. We talked about this a little bit Mark I think I talked about this with Adam I can't remember but I think we've all been kind of suckered into this idea that you know there's really only a couple different ways to actually win in football. Like You know, you need to try to be more like City. Uh, You need to have, you need to be able to play in this particular way because that's how the quote elite teams play. But I think that the truth is that there are multiple paths to winning. And Mm -hmm. if you can get the best out of your squad in not just some nebulous way, but actually get the best out of your squad by making them a group of individuals who play, like, play in a very symbiotic organism kind of way mm-hmm. where they're on the same page, they are disciplined, they are fit. And I, I keep coming back to fit because I think fitness is just something we've been missing around here for a long time. You're going to get sides that are more resolute and you're going to get a side that in, in the case of Everton, um, speaking of that resolution, who what, what have we seen be consistent themes with this side? Um, we've seen that they are, they make smart decisions, uh, when they have the ball. And by the way, they do that because they have to. I mean, I think we have the ball less than any other side in the league and yet our XG, if you want to get into XG is actually really good. Our goal return is good. Um, you know, we're in, we're in fifth place joint jointly in third. I mean, I, I think that, that those things are 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 part of are part of the reason why is that you have these guys, like, I think I'm tired of recycling the same old talking points about, well, play for the badge and, you know, work yeah. hard and blah, blah, blah. Like work hard, sure, but that that industry has to be combined with a plan that has to be combined with fitness that has to be combined. Like there's gotta be multiple things at play. And if you can do all of those things, then you can identify a style and an attitude. Attitude may be the word that I, I'm ultimately seek searching for here that enables you to excel. Now, you mentioned decore as someone who you you are afraid to see out of the side. I mean, I think the difference between us, frankly, and a lot of the sides above us is going to frankly be that depth issue, right? Like when a player goes out, what can we do? Having said that, um, I think the best, uh, this is the other other way I'm going to look at this. Now I agree with you on Decoré maybe being the most valuable player on this side, in this side, from that standpoint of losing him, you really lose so much of what, of all the good things we've talked about, but I do sort of think that the best um, thing to come from what this start of the season is that we have seen this level of production, this level of results without a lot of key players. It, it, it establishes that when those guys return – They have to fit into the successful model and construct and approach and output and team synergy or whatever the fuck you want to call it that has been working. They have to come back in and work their way into that success as opposed to those injured players being looked at as saviors who are going to come in and steady a sinking ship. Uh, that has been, uh, you know, something that, that's been occurring without them, right? Like, I, I think that the fact that we're scoring nearly two goals a game without Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin is incredible. I mean, it's incredible. I, I mean, if you really think about how much we've struggled to score without those two guys over the last few years, it really is incredible. And so to me, I, I'm, I'm heartened by – a start that has included adversity and has now given this team the ability as they move forward into the next quarter of the season, next half of the season, what have you to be able to to say, Hey, we have overcome, we can overcome things because we've done it and we've done it at Old Trafford. We've done it. You know, (laughs) that that Brighton win away is looking even more impressive. Like all of those things uh, I think matter, And it's all about whether we can, A, build on it, and B, frankly, and this is just true of any side, but it's especially true of a a side that doesn't have the money that other other clubs have at their disposal. And you saw that ridiculous bench that United had the other day. We have to get fortunate with injuries, you know, like – you know, I can have every conversation anyone wants to about someone like Yari Mina. And I'm the first one to say, well, yeah, it do, It's great. But it, I understand it doesn't matter if he's not available. Mm-hmm. Same with the core. Certainly the same with Alan. I mean, I think that's been, I think that his ability to stay fit and to actually display said fitness is, you know, is huge and availability would be a big part of it. But all the signs so far have been really, really good. Um, Mark, I do want to ask you this question um, about this particular side producing the way they have. Um, it, it's I'm, I'm trying to think back through the last, let's just say decade or so, right? I feel like this is the first Everton side I can recall in a long time that didn't have a diva, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now, a diva... A diva, by the way, can be a good thing. Don't get me wrong, because sometimes divas are divas for a reason. Oftentimes it's because they're exceptional <laughs> and they are, you know, as, as I used to describe Thomas Rodriguez, they are transcendent. The danger of a diva, of course, beyond just the nominal thought that, well, a diva can sometimes... Inadvertently put themselves above the team, if you will. Um, maybe Richarlison has some tendencies here and there, but I think he works too hard to really be considered a diva per se. But uh, and is a good is good at the club and all that stuff. But put that aside for a second. The diva can be good, but the diva can also become a oh uh, can also become an anchor around the ankles of of a of a good side because. They then are looked at as the only, you know, they're looked at in such a way that if we are without them for a period of time, then mm-hmm. it, it almost creates its own built-in excuse not to succeed. Like I think that once Hamas became a regular, um, uh, uh, you know, a regular non-factor, if you will, <laughs> if that makes sense. Last season, I think that. Um, not only did we suffer because he wasn't out there, but I think that the mentality of the group was sort of that, Hey, you know, our success was so tied to him yeah. that we kind of have this built in excuse. Um, you know, you go back a few, a few seasons, um, you know, over this period of time before Hamas came, um, you know, I, I, it's weird to call Gilfie Sigurdsson a Diva, per se, but it, he did seem to, you know, his, the, the idea of having him in the, the squad was that, well, we play bad. Here's the guy who can bail us out with one kick or with a set piece or what have you. Um, if you don't have that guy, where is your chance creation going to come from? Um, Lukaku was this, you know, Lukaku was that guy to a an degree. And again, have I'd rather have some, you know, sign me up. Sign me up for some divas, by the way, if it's going to mean we finish higher in the league. But you have to admit, Mark, that this is the first time I've seen a quote diva list Everton that seems to actually be succeeding uh, mm-hmm. in a long time. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's one thing to not have any divas and just be a shit team, but what we're actually seem to be pretty good. And it's hard for me to pinpoint um, anyone in this side who I could call a diva. Um, and, or, or I could say, for instance, that uh, if you want a class, Richarlison is some kind of diva because, you know, prolific strikers sometimes are this way or whatever we've been winning without him so i, I think my quote my 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 general point is that the the this side seems to be greater than the sum of its parts greater than the sums of its quote individual talents if you will mm-hmm. um why does that feel more sustainable mark like i keep saying that you know, unlike last season where we were, we had Hamis Rodriguez just you know taking us up on his magical carpet ride, uh, you know, to to fly with unicorns and shit. Uh, that that you know, this side doesn't have that. It's all about uh, working hard and basics and counterattacking and making smart decisions. And none of it is super sexy, but yet. It's working, and it feels like this is a more repeatable thing because it doesn't require exceptional talent. So I therefore say it's more sustainable. How do you view it, Mark? Do you do you think this is actually more sustainable? Is Everton benefiting from not having one singular
0: personality so dominate the the dressing room? The key word is balance for me. Um, I think the the three regimes if you want to call it them for Roberto Martinez and Ronald Koeman and and Carlo Ancelotti yes they had their outrageous positives but looking back it was it was so imbalanced in terms of the approach and, and how we how we went about things and how we generated positive results Roberto Martinez was obviously very imbalanced in terms of playing style you know very, very possession heavy, but also absolutely terrible when asked to keep the ball out of our own net, which which became quite important. Um, Ronald Koeman, obviously, looking back, very much reliant on the dominance that that duo of Ross Barkley and in particular Romelu Lukaku were able to generate. Um, and Carl Ancelotti's Everton side were just totally imbalanced in in general. I mean, you you obviously mentioned about some of the starting 11s and, and some of the, the personnel and tactical changes that were made. The reason that Rafael Benitez as Everton feels more sustainable is that it's just a hell of a lot calmer than than any of that. And I think that when you when you were able to replicate, I'm not saying necessarily that we've seen the same seven games over and over again this season because it's, it's been anything but, but... Some of the, all of the positive things that we seem to say about individuals in this side and about the side collectively after each game, they, they seem to resonate week on week and, and seem to grow in strength. And I don't I don't feel as though one week I'm talking about Everton's incredible flair play going forward, and then the next week I'm talking about this real backs of the wall resilience that we've been able to show it at one of the bigger grounds. It all feels a little bit more composed and and. A little bit less dramatic than than Everton yeah. have been in, in previous seasons. Does and it
1: feel like a template that they're they're constantly using each game for the it most part?
0: Feels like it's there right now, doesn't it? If, if do yeah. you know what? if it, I always try and tune into what what would an opposition team think of playing an Everton side going into the weekend. If you had Everton coming up this weekend, you'd think I I can't be arsed with that side because they are going to run they are going to work hard they're going to be a solid defensive unit and they've got players who can be really dangerous on the counter and again that I'm not I'm not being too restrictive about how I categorize Everton there we're we're not a we're not a park the bus and hurt you on the break sort of side We, we are capable with the the level of quality that we have in our starting 11 but I get the feeling that last year, if you had Everton at the weekend, you'd say, "Well, do you know what? This this is going to be an exciting game. You know, they've got some real flair players. They they could really hurt us on the break, but we're going to get at them and we're going to give as good as it gets. And yes, it makes for fantastic games, and you might win five two and four two and whatever it was at, at the start of last season. But I think." Having had that last season, do you know what? It, it was great, and I'm not going to talk reductively about about how exciting Everton were last season at stages. But I, as a boring man, Rob, I can definitely buy into what we are doing at the moments of just being just being that really good. And we, we, we're actually we're horrible to play against, and you, you saw that in. I, I don't mean that from a totally aggressive point of view. As, as much as it was nice to see that at Old Trafford at the weekend when it was called upon and seeing that, that unity that the players had for each other. And, you know, when was it Luca Dean who went down injured and Abdoulaye de Dekorey came steaming over? And, and that, that's not that footballer. I loved it. But, I loved that so much, by the way. It, 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 wasn't off, it wasn't off the chain. It wasn't totally uncontrolled. It was simply an expression of desire that he has for every player around him. And it, he wasn't the only one. I thought Ben, ben Godfrey was in a in a less aggressive way, he was equally horrible to play against because it was back to that that, that's, that real reliability that you had in him last season whereby there was absolutely no way that he got beaten in a physical one-on-one battle. But we, we, we just look as though a team whereby you, you will try multiple things against us, but we, we have that level of, of resilience to stand up to. A multitude of challenges. Um, I think that that probably evolves slightly into what you said about divas and the the nature of those styles of footballer. I mean, James Rodriguez definitely falls into that category in terms of possibly isolating himself from the group slightly, and that that's where that sort of diva connotation comes from. Mm-hmm. No, no one else has that capability to be that type of footballer than Richarlison because that all all of the diva connotations that have ever existed in football, he he is that guy, uh, and and he at his worst can be his own and Everton's own worst enemy. But I think what what you said about a stereotypical diva footballer, that that human being is a product of his environment and, and quite simply if you can be a football team and a, and a football club that allows that level of personality to evolve and for troubles within the group to develop i've, I've got no insight about what richarlison has, has been like in the group and and for all intents and purposes, that we see from outside, he's, he's a very well liked member of the gang. But yeah. I think that there are moments that we've seen, in particular under Carlo Ancelotti. Um, from a personal level, I always hop back to the the Chelsea game just before last Christmas, where we were, um, me and Matt were there as part of the the three thousand fans that were allowed into the game. I think that, that gave a real clear insight for me, being able to watch that dynamic between player and manager of just the most unhealthy balance. That It it, it was a really unhealthy moment. And do you know what? It, it was actually quite awkward watching the game at, at that point because it, the, it, it was the predominant theme of that 20 or 30 minutes of of the football match, whereby... These two fellows are having a barney on the pitch, and the game just kind of passed us by at that moment. Because for those twenty minutes, Everton weren't important. It was can Carlo Ancelotti reignite this football and get him performing for us? And that 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 is yes, it's it's incredibly unhealthy, obviously, but it's it's something that you would absolutely not see in this starting eleven at the moment because the. The attitude and the theme of this side has been so well defined in this opening seven games of the season that Richarlison wouldn't even go there, and Rafael Benitez wouldn't have to have the conversation that Carlo Ancelotti had to have during that game last season, and during multiple games. Because yes, we we saw the, the the petulance about penalty kicks, and I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm talking about a, a player's predominant attitude in games. And as much as we haven't been able to see Richarlison a great deal this season, you you do get the the impression that the, the style of team that we've built just simply has no allowances for that sort of behaviour. And I think you'll you'll start to see a lot less of that this season. And I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that we're going to see this this ruthless personality on the sideline of Rafael Benitez hooking players every time that they show a a slight bit of petulance or poor attitude because it's it's football and it's sport and that is going to happen. But I think that for everything you've said about the reliance that football fans put on intricate parts of tactical play and formations and how each and every individual goal comes about, so much can be said from just being a... A team and Everton haven't been a team since probably the first season of Roberto Martinez where there was was that collective unity and a a lot of people will say that that was generated by David Moyes And, and maybe that's being unfair to Martinez but it's enjoyable to see this team enduring itself because that—that's exactly what it looks like at the moment. There looks like yes, there's a plan and there's a tactical input from from the manager and the coaches and and everything that you'd expect a football team to have. But the the intangible strength that Everton have at the moment is in its its collective force, and I think that that no more so than at the weekend did we see that. We, we yeah. look as though. We look as though as we're a comfortable side. And yes, we're comfortable going forward and, and we're comfortable against opposition teams who aren't necessarily of, of the calibre and the quality that we are. But I, I I love seeing an Everton team who are also comfortable with the opposition team having possession in our half and having that that reliance and, and that that strength within ourselves to say, well, do you know what? You you do your thing because we're, we're, we're happy with what we are. We're happy with the spine of the team. And we know that we can cause you problems on the break. And you said something really important, Rob, in terms of the possession that Everton sides have had this season. And we, we look as though I, I think in in previous years, and obviously under under Roberto Martinez, this was most evident, whereby it, it felt as though we were trying to hammer home what Everton were. We were we had to have the ball. We we had to get the the ball to our our danger men. We had to impose ourselves consistently on the opposition team and you know i've i've been i've been critical of everton teams in the past for maybe not doing that a little bit more so but it it felt as though we were trying to live up to this ideology that the manager and and simply having whatever manager it was at the time meant that everton had to look like and i think to 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 beat a norwich team at home with 46% possession that that's that's a little bit more impressive for me and i you you can call that shit house football or you know wh- whatever you may say about a team who has less than 50% possession and wins games but it it just stinks of a team for me who are just comfortable about what they're doing uh, and yeah. how how many games have we had in recent years where we've had 70 80% possession and a million chances and and Yeah,
1: ultimately. Well, we lose a lot of those games, and that's what that's been the problem. Is I don't really have an issue. Like you know, you bring up Norwich, I don't have an issue with us having less possession if we're finding ways to 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 get the goals and to get the get those wins. I'm, and I think to to that point about you know, and I don't want I I don't want to use this. I I just don't want to pick on Rashard too much because I I think that there is definitely a line between occasional petulance and um. Uh, the the level of diva that literally operates uh, extraneously from the standards that have been set for the rest of the side. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti clearly had a rule for James Rodriguez and rules for everyone else. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. If James, you know... Thomas didn't feel like playing today, you know, Thomas uh, just didn't want to, you know, didn't have to play. And I, I think that there is no more of that. And to the earlier point I tried to make, I think that, that now you've got sides, you know, you've got a side who has established a, an, a, an aesthetic, a vibe or whatever you want to call it. And now you, you you feel like the players who are going to come back into the fold will have to kind of rise to that occasion because, the, the the difference now is that and I know I kind of framed it as they're not being viewed as the saviors who are going to come back and and you know save them, save this calamitous side. Mm. Now they they've actually been able to show that this type of unity, this type of togetherness, this type of toughness, whatever, you know, pick mm. your pick your adjective. Um it works and it has led to wins and it has led to points and it has led to a good place in the table. And so it's time for people to get on board. And, um, it, it feels like we are beginning to see that happen, you know, and, and that's, I will say too, is we kind of ask these questions about, you know, where we're struggling, I think a little bit to put our finger on what's, what's so different this time? Um, Cause I think that it's easy to just say, well, we have players in certain positions that are better than players who were in those same positions who failed and therefore, you know, that's all yeah. it is. Um, I do think that for instance, you had Alan and, uh, and Decoré in, you know, in the same positions technically last season uh, to varying degrees of success, but that, it is the the way in which the manager is leveraging their abilities that has enabled them to see a higher level of production, not only for themselves, but for the, for the team in general. And I think that's, that's, I, I think that too is something where I think about um, it's great to have, t- it's great to have like hard men, you know, tough personalities, gruff types or whatever, but that is kind of a, a veil that's sort of thin after a while if it's not accompanied by execution and it's not accompanied by results. Yeah. Um, but I will say that if you can have stronger-minded personalities across the pitch who are now empowered to, you know, to be leaders who are now empowered to be the best versions of themselves out on the pitch. Like I I could have made an argument last season that, Hey, um, I like the quote alpha personalities uh, and the aggressive and tough personalities of guys like Ben Godfrey and Yerimina and Alan and Decoré. Um, and Cal, you know, Calvert Lewin and, uh, you know, Richarlison, uh, you know, I, I can say that that's great to have those personalities, but the problem was, is that you had this collection of personalities that in some total were lesser than the sum of their parts. Now those same guys, uh, and again, remember what we you know, weren't able to do in the transfer window, you know, we've added gray and, and towns into that mix. Um, And they have certainly had their own uh, toughness they've brought to this side, their own um, smarts they've brought to this side. But I think it's the manager's ability to take those who were already here and make them the best versions of themselves that have enabled those personalities to actually be of some consequence. Right. it's not it's no like it doesn't really matter if you have one tough guy on the pitch who's going to be the guy that goes up and gets in the face of the opposing player or referee or whatever if that attitude and that that forcefulness does not persuade and inspire those around him well now you've got a collection of guys who all seem to be pulling together who also are You know, strong, tough personalities. I I mean, you said before, we're we're just we're a pain in the ass to play against now. Um, That's partly because of the fact that we've got guys who don't mind playing physical and who don't mind playing on the edge a little bit, which I love. Mm-hmm. but they're doing so purposefully. They're doing so in control. They're doing so with a plan. Like they've been doing all these things, but you know, it's not like it's been a flurry of red cards. It's not like those uh those moments uh of toughness and edginess have, you know, resulted in us uh losing the plot of a game. I think that's I think that's where when we talk about that line um I will call it the the, you know, the line of edginess, if you will, you know, one side of that line is calamity and the other side of that line is incredible success, but it is a very narrow line. It's all about being able to be both tough and aggressive while simultaneously doing so in a focused, prepared Mm. and meaningful consequential way. Right. Like, and that's not easy to pull off. And to me, I, I mean, and this is something I just didn't think I'd be saying. Uh, it comes back to the original point to kind of close the circle. I think the manager deserves a lot of credit for getting these guys all on the same page in a meaningful way, um, and I think that um, I, I think that it, what we've seen so far is something that hopefully is is just kind of the way it's going to be. It's kind of setting a bar. It's setting a level. And there won't be any acceptance. Like, there's always this talk of, well, Everton players have to understand the shirt that they're wearing, the badge that's on that shirt, and who they're playing for. And, you know, those things kind of... they make for great talking points, but really the modern player is not going to be as attached as you are to this club ethos. I mean, they might understand, and I think some of them very well do, but that's not really been effective, frankly, at getting Mm -hmm. players to play in this manner. What is effective though, is the internal peer pressure that is created by a group of guys playing together and succeeding. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, no one wants to be the outlier in that group who contributes to knocking them off of good form. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we bounce back from, I think it was a real Testament to this group, the way we bounced back uh, after, you know, the heavy Villa defeat and, you know, a, a cup defeat against QPR, the in the manner that we have, that is that that kind of resilience will serve us well. Um, and, and I think that now um, that's it more than formation, more than tactics. Um, I think it's a combination of a variety of factors that have enabled and empowered this group to create something that no one wants to mess with. No one wants yeah. to fuck up, if you will, um, as opposed to a bunch of agendas kind of all working uh, mm. simultaneously or working, you know, <laughs> at the same time and, and kind of getting us off track. So from that standpoint, Mark, I, I've been impressed. Um I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I'm gonna make. I, I wanna. I'm gonna thro- run this by you uh, because it's not Tom I Davis feel- right back, is it? No, it's not Tom Davis at right back. I, I haven't even thought
0: about Tom Davis until you brought him up. But we're gonna want we <laughs> <have> to throw this. We there and ask ask. Given the 200 still shots of Tom Davis on the ball, what would you have done? But we'll come back to that. <laughs>
1: God, I, you know, well, let's get back to that in a moment, but um, I'm going to make, I'm going to make this statement and I'm saying it to you and the, and therefore everyone who's listening to this now, but um, I, I'm trying to find a way to consume this Everton side that feels simultaneously true to myself and myself being someone who picked Everton to finish 12th this season and is not going to get too far ahead of himself, but also um, someone who can much like what these players seem to be doing. I like they seem to be playing one game at a time, as cliche as that sounds. I think they're just kind of enjoying going out and playing and and it looks like it. Um, My I'm going to commit for the rest of this season. As we have these discussions, I don't want to talk about where I think Everton are going to finish. I don't want to talk about Europe. I think they're going to. I just don't see any point in it right now, um, because and, and I know this sounds like a bit, and maybe it is, but I, I think I'm going to commit, you know, that, to that until you know maybe we get down to the final month of the season and we're you know we're in a competitive spot, and then we have to kind of talk about the the mathematical nature of 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 the standings and all that. That's fine, okay, but. But I think I'm going to, for my own sanity, avoid the pitfall of getting into the expectations game of of placement in the table. I know we all sort of have those internal expectations, good or bad, as they may be, Mark. But I think that my idea is they're taking this one game at a time. They seem to be enjoying their craft once again as a collective group and as a unit pulling together. I think I'm just going to try to enjoy... The simple act of watching Everton and seeing how they do every week, knowing that there will be ups and downs and what have you. But in general, I think I can just be satisfied. And one thing I can say kind of definitively about this group that I haven't been able to say in a long time um, is that while I've said in the past that this group has more likable players – than we've had in a while. I think that started when Brands came in. I think some of the players he signed, for better or worse, have been good personalities, colorful personalities at the club, and that's all wonderful. But I think as a collective unit and squad, despite the fact that we have no backup left back, we have John Joe Kenny backing up Seamus Coleman, who's you know injured again. This is the most I've liked yeah. a collective group of Everton players Probably you you brought up Fellaini before that last, I think that was Fellaini's last season. What what was the season where we we uh, we beat United at Goodison on yeah. opening night and Fellaini scored? Like I love that team so much. Um, I I'm I, I I just haven't liked a team collectively since I, now I realize since the Moyes years as much as I like this group and so I think I'm just going to enjoy liking them every week and seeing where that gets me. <laughs>
0: What you're saying, Rob, is that we are in a title race. and, and <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's what you took for that. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I was going to say just before you said it, Rob, is that I, I actually actively want this team to do well now because I, I like the people who, who pull that shirt on. Um, and as, as much as that, doesn't always matter and I'm happy for them just to do well because I can say that my team is doing well. I think it is, it's is—it's actively enjoyable to win games now because you, you get the sense of, of collective happiness that obviously it gives to us as supporters but be, that those players have as well. Even just the... You know, the Ben Godfrey wink at the weekend and the joking around at the end and you know, Mina pushing players and Andros Townsend, winding Ronaldo or as, as, as much as not that's not the be-all and end all of what this team has to represent. It, it's just great to see them enjoying themselves. Um and yeah, you know what part of part of the reason that this is so enjoyable. I think two reasons, really, is that one is the level of expectation. I think, obviously, when you come into into a season off the back of a, a difficult transfer window and on the back of a difficult season, um, heartbreak for most of us in terms of losing what many of us saw as as one of our most talented managers ever. I think we'd all bought into, as, as you've already alluded to, Rob, in terms of your, your pre-season prediction, we, we'd all settled for mid table mediocrity and and some mm. form of rebalancing and some form of rebuilding our structure this season and I think the fact that the fact that we are doing so well but also have that still fresh in our mind in terms of not getting too carried away with ourselves is the reason that we can all kind of just sit back here and talk about a team that we're all very comfortable with at the moment because we are yes we're, we're enjoying where we are but we we've been hurt enough in recent years to to not go massively into this in terms of looking at the league table every half hour and deciding whether we were in a race for top four or top six right now. And a, a lot of that is down to, to the spending power that we didn't have in the summer and, and what that does for the, the collective players, obviously, in terms of knowing that they are going to be integral as being one of the 14 that are going to just have to do this going forward. But, I think it's good for the fans as well, just to have that kind of not necessarily win taking out the sales, but not not have that consistent burden of our expensive players have to do really well and justify everything that we are that we are doing off the pitch. And we, I, I don't feel like there's much for this group to justify at the moment, you know, Andros Townsend and Damari Gray and, and this style of player that we've decided to opt for in the summer. You could argue that on a personal level, they will have something to prove, but there's no enormous price tag that has to be lived up to. And I think that that's obviously incredibly healthy for any human being in any field, really. But I think that that's potentially and interestingly going to be something that Everton have to think about with future spending. I mean, obviously, this club is never going to be shackled financially to the extent that it has been this year. Hopefully, ever ever again in terms of spending, because there was quite simply nothing there. But yeah. I think that you'll see a more intelligent approach to player recruitment going forward. I think if there was to be thirty or forty million pound available in January or in the summer next year, I don't necessarily think you're going to see that go gung ho approach that that Marcel Brands or Everton in general have have expressed in in recent years and. I think that there's always been and, and there will always be when you've got a a rich owner come into a club. You, you're always going to have that expectation to deliver incredibly quickly. And in doing so, you, you do lose all of these things that we've spoken about in terms of identity and, and unity. And, and quite honestly, I'm looking forward to seeing all of those things fall apart at Newcastle United in the next coming years. But I think to... To summarise what Benitez has been to Everton and to pay him the ultimate ultimate compliment. I think that if you were to ask an Everton fan to come into to this club this season and manage the team, you'd you'd absolutely make it look like what he's made it look like. And and that's that's incredibly ironic given all of the rhetoric going into this season about his his history across the park. But that This is what Everton fans want their team to look like. If, if I was to picture a few years ago what I thought the next trophy-winning Everton side was going to look like and how they were going to play and what it was going to mean to me when we won games and won trophies, this is it. And I, that, that's, that's partly because I never could have envisaged people like Carlo Ancelotti and Hamel Rodriguez and all of these incredibly expensive Personnel coming into the club, we, we we never could have predicted any of that. We we probably could have predicted its demise, um, but I think that the fact that this does have that level of substance and that that level of just it it just matters when Everton kick a ball at the moment. It matters when we score. It matters when we clinch a point. It matters when Ben Godfrey does this snide wink on the pitch. It, it all yeah. feels as though the Everton that I've grown up on this and and it was. It was definitely at this peak under David Moyes, and and it feels as though we've got a little bit of that back. And yes, David Moyes didn't win anything, and and this is only going to really matter if we can go on and and eclipse yeah. that. But f- football teams are are different things to, to fans. That yes, they are symbols of progression and symbols of success when they bring trophies home, and and that is something that we absolutely want to be a part of. But it. it we talk about our identity of, of football teams. It, it's also our identity as well. I, I wanna I wanna enjoy Everton. I wanna like the players. I wanna be proud of what they stand for and, and proud of how they play. And that that's absolutely how I've felt this season. And and yeah. yes, those those two things have to exist in synergy because I I don't just wanna be the guy who likes Everton and, and they finish eleventh and twelfth, but they make me proud four or five times a season. That there, there has to be a level of, of progression and, and foresight in terms of where we're going with this. But given the the calibre of players that we've got and the calibre of players that are due to come back into this side, and I don't really see any evident weakness in this team. And I'm sure that'll come back to bite me in four or five games' time. But for, for all of the the teams that previous managers have built, I, I can think of... Evident weaknesses that existed in those sides, be it set piece defending, or be it not necessarily being able to exist without your best player, or changing your lineup in your and your formation every week. That there was evident gaps in the setup that meant that progress was was really always a little bit too far of a stretch away. And I don't really get this at the moment. And you'll you'll probably look at the squad depth as being the one thing, yeah. but. That's the biggest critique, is the depth. It's, and that's not their those players' fault. It just is what it exactly. is. Uh, but we are, we are realistically probably two or three, maybe even just two signings away, and one youth player coming into his own. If, if Everton were to, this time next year, starting at the, at the start of next season, if we had two important signings in the door, and Anthony Gordon was a real solid, consistent member of the first team squad, which it, it's all a little bit flimsy at the moment in terms of how important he actually is to Everton. But if, if he was to
1: be after an, it, is this he, after we sell
0: Richarlison or before? Yes, yeah, once he's gone, yeah, and Yerry Mina <laughs> has been loaned out. Um, but if, if if we were to have that sort of core 17 as opposed to 13 or 14, I think you, you, you're talking about a really exciting squad there, aren't you? I mean, I, 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 I definitely don't want to big this up because I don't want to be the person that I've been for the last few seasons in terms of getting overly carried away to start to the season, but... This one, this one just feels real, Robin. It's, it's something that I can really get behind and get excited about.
1: Well, look, maybe the way to look at this too is, um, I it, it almost like you covered a lot of the things, Mark. That I think we all kind of inherently know, right? Which is, we know that this ultimately the whole point of the whole point of this exercise of competitive sport is to ultimately result in winning things and blah, blah, blah. I I don't think, I think we all know that. And I think we all know that that's where we need to be. We all know how long it's been since we haven't won a trophy and what have you. Um, I am, I think that what I'm trying to do with Everton more, because it's, it's easily the most complex sports relationship I've ever had in terms of how I'm supposed to feel versus how I do feel versus the highs of winning and the expectation of constant disappointment becoming almost its own identity. Like our identity is misery kind of, thing. you know, <laughs> so maybe, maybe I think what, and maybe this is where I was going with the whole, like, I don't want to talk about where we finish. It's not to say that the, that it doesn't matter. Cause of course it matters. And it's not to say that trophies all matter. Cause of course they do. And, and we're saying all of this after we, you know, crash out of a, you know, another league cup. Right. But Thankfully. I, I, I think though that there is context to this discussion in terms of the notion that yeah, there's probably a there's probably more of an emotional component to the substance of what I'm talking about because um I think I just I think I'm satisfied right now with just feeling good about Everton and that being enough for, for right now, you know, like feeling good about them can mean, may mean something different later. It probably will, but that's, I I don't even really want to go down the road of, of, of being um, cynical right now or anything else, because these players have not fluked their way into these 14 points, you know, to the earlier point that you made, like, they, they earned every single one of these points and they squeezed it out and they did so in a, in a, in a manner that I think all of us can be pretty proud of. Right. So now we just kind of want to see more of that. But I think the context of all of this happening after the year plus year and a half that we've all just been through not having fans in the ground. I mean, and Mark, you know, you're a season ticket holder and, and, you know, and, and I say this certainly as someone who is literally looking at my little travel app and counting down the days right. until I'm there for the match against Newcastle on the 28th. Like I I am I think we needed this. Yeah. Um even if and again, I, I don't know where what it'll ultimately result in, but why don't we take a break from getting too wrapped up about the end and just sort of enjoy this journey for a little bit because I think we all missed, missed football in a certain way that right now we're seeing a team actually sort of do the things and that we've wanted and to be the sort of character group that we've wanted Amidst the backdrop of fans returning, amidst the backdrop of us getting closer collectively as a world to defeating this virus, um, it's you know that's that the, the, that's you know all contingent on a lot of things.
0: I know, but I think it's fair it, to it, say, Rob, as well that, that that was never a given. That it was never a given that that Everton at home would be enjoyable just because we yeah. haven't been there for a year. Because yeah. There's, there's plenty of football clubs who will tell you right now that it feels like we've never been away because we hated them before it and we hate them after it as well. And that, that, <laughs>
1: yeah, okay, Be a Leicester fan right now. That, is what yeah, right, <laughs> there's a
0: gap. Yeah, Everton had to go some to, to reignite how Goodison Park feels at the moment. I mean, five or ten minutes into that Southampton game and in particular when Armstrong scores after 20 minutes, it felt as though we'd never been away. And, it, it's it's on that cusp where you haven't got all of those those nice emotions that you speak about and that that resonance that that you have with Everton and with and with Goodison Park that has been that has been missing obviously when we've not been there. But I think for so long before that as well. And I think that that's a testament to Benitez in terms of how he's been able to, you know, do do all of the nice football and things that that he's done with the team and individual players. But he, he's really he's really channeled the emotive essence of of Everton and what, and what this football club is. He he as as it alluded alluded ironic him, for uh, a guy who's
1: considered cold and detached and unemotional about this
0: and, stuff. and a cop ice yeah I mean yeah <laughs> it, it, it's genuinely like if, if you were to take Rafael Benitez you know the history the the, the persona the man away if someone was to ask you to guess who Everton's manager was and and what sort of ilk he was in. You'd say he was an Everton fan. You'd you'd say he's, he's watched Everton for years. He understands what the fans want. He understands what your generic Everton side is to look like. And he understands how important those 19 games at Goodison Park are, and, and what it what it has to feel like, and what it has to mean to those people in the in the crowd. And I mean, I, I've been unfortunate enough to miss a couple of home games this season, but certainly the the Southampton game and and watching highlights back of the other games that we've had. It, it's what it's what Goodison Park needs to look like. Some some of the fantastic photos in front of the Gladys Street already this season of, of people like Abdelai DeCore celebrating in the corner in between the Bullens and the Gladys, you know, people just... I know you, you always get the phrase of living in the moment and there's the, the, get the no-phone symbol out because that, 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 is, that is what Everton... And, and that's what this team means to those people in the stands and behind the goal and it, it, it's very it's very hard to to articulate how that 90 minutes feels when when you've got a team that you actually actively enjoy watching and, and how, how much different it is. And Joe you know, credit to the team because as we mentioned in the Southampton game it, it definitely could have gone the other way. But that that's a shining example of of one of these this team's mantras is that when when we are down, be it after 20 minutes against Southampton, albeit on the back of two really disappointing results at Aston Villa and QPR, we know how to bounce back. There's there's a resilience and there's a. There's a core strength to their side that has quite simply just not been there. We we've, we've relied on talent, and and that that's not always a bad thing to rely on. We talent. still got some talent, by, by the way. I mean, going to not... be there, but this, this is this is so much more enjoyable. I, yeah. Long long be the scenario where Everton go out and buy mediocre footballers and just make them horrible and enjoyable to watch because it 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 just feels. So, so much different to last season. And, and I, I know that all the things we've said about Everton being exciting and, and being able to create massive, massive problems for teams, and, you know, Hamas Rodriguez was capable of that. But I just don't give a shit about what last year was or or what Hamas Rodriguez yeah. was. And quite frankly, that season didn't exist for me because this this, for all the things you've said about post-pandemic and having the fans back in, Seeing them celebrating at Old Trafford the weekend, I'd I'd swap for any individual moment last season. And, yeah, we scored some great goals, but this this just matters so much more than anything under Carlo Ancelotti or anything last season that we saw. This matters more, said Mark Mosey. Uh, (laughs) That's like a fucking cop-eye phrase, isn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this will be my last – I think this will be my last statement on it to to sort of sum it up because – Some of you listening to this right now, um, rightly so, are thinking, yeah, but, you know, yeah, but. And by the way, I I get it. Um, I think the difference, I think what I would implore you all to consider and implore you to do. and And by the way, I say this as someone who might have hit my absolute low in terms of my cynicism about this club. After the transfer window closed and it had failed so colossally, I still have significant issues with recruitment and the financial mismanagement and, you know,
0: yeah
1: X, Y, and Z. Fine. Okay. It's all true. And I also was coming into this season on top of all of that with Rafa Benitez as the manager of Everton, which still takes some doing to say uh, without kind of, ha. you know, making that face like, huh.
0: Okay, are you gonna tell you be singing his name at the Newcastle game? Can I ask it?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a great singer, but um, <laughs> I but but here's my here's what I would tell you guys is that I was as cynical and pessimistic as anyone. And now I look at this side fully acknowledging that there are going to be injuries. There are going to be dips and forms. There are going to be twists and turns. There will be more highs and more lows. It's it's everton, isn't it? Uh, but I can say this: that in seven games, what I've seen from this group and this manager is worth getting behind. Yeah. Except that we are going to go through some struggles. We will have some bad luck here and there, you know, all that, the, all the normal shit that happens. But I think the difference that I can say after seven games that I believe I can carry the rest of the way is that this is a group of players and a manager. I can't believe I'm saying this, but f- based on the available evidence, this is a group worth getting behind and staying behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're already beginning. And I say, this is someone who, um, Really does believe in a non romantic way that the vibe of the crowd, of the supporters. Makes a real difference, and if you think it doesn't, I mean, if you think it doesn't make a difference, then you're probably not one of the people going to these games, but especially away, you know, seeing that 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 away and at United, uh, seeing seeing how Goodison has reacted to this group. I mean, this is this is something that I feel like if we can continue to and you know to everyone says get behind the team, and what does that really mean? I, I think it's just I think it means different things to different people. It's going out and showing your support and blah 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 and all that shit. I get it, but I do think that there is a an intangible there about your own belief in this group and and that that the players feel and this this group feels and that I think that if you know I think that if if the players can continue to stick with us and we stick with them a little bit, I, I feel like that there's potentially something good here for this season. Um, but all I know is that whether, you know, while there will be twists and turns and ups and downs to come, and there's a long season ahead. The only thing that I am absolutely sure of is that this is a group worth getting behind Mm -hmm. and staying behind. So, um, Mark, with that, uh, we're at the hour and, 19-minute mark, which I know, God, just we're always pushing the limit. We're not going an hour and 45 today, which I think is is already an incredible accomplishment. I hope you guys don't mind this mini episode of Kickabout that's only an hour and 20 minutes. But (laughs) uh, I do want to end very quickly, Mark, on your favorite segment of September and October, which is the horror movie recommendation of the week. Uh, I recently watched the 1976 classic, uh, about the, ch- you know, the child of Satan called the Omen. Uh, starring the great Gregory Peck and Lee Remick, directed by Richard Donner. If you don't know who Richard Donner is, he directed so many great movies that you love, uh, including, um, oh God, everything from Superman and the Lethal Weapon movies <laughs> to, uh, you know, to uh, The Goonies I'm and Scrooged and, uh, you know, just a ton of great movies. But, um it is, for those of you who've never seen it, many of you probably know, it's literally a story about a, uh, a, this couple uh, who decides to uh, kind of, uh, d- decides to adopt this baby. Uh, and the baby just happens to be, you know, like like sometimes happens, the uh, literal spawn of Satan. And you go through a series of Terrible calamitous events that include nannies committing suicide and uh you know zoo animals going apeshit crazy in the presence of this kid and just a series of just absolutely evil looks from this kid at opportune times uh that that will kind of haunt you. Uh it's violence and it is even more. Uh, it, it's even more creepy because there is always that subgenre of horror movies where there's an evil little boy or an evil little girl usually they're in ghost form but you know uh, in this particular case they're not uh, th- this was a weird weird movie. Uh, It freaked me out a little bit because little blonde blue-eyed cherubic-looking kids always creep me out. Anyway, but especially when they happen to be the son of literal son of Satan. So um, I cannot just from the standpoint that this is a classic. It has an incredible cast. Uh, I I I I think that at this time of year, it's absolutely worth watching. There will be unintentional laughs uh, that were not intended, I'm sure, by the filmmakers because you know there's there's. Just something, and especially one of the early the early scenes where the woman jumps off of the roof. Uh, that what and uh, she while while looking at this kid and smiling yeah. and saying, "This is all for you, Damien. This is all for you." And then jumping and killing herself. Like it's uh it's dark, and yet in a weird way, it's uh, oddly compelling as a scary movie. So highly recommend the Omen. Uh, by the you know directed by the great Richard Donner. Mark, that's all I have for this week, buddy. Is there anything else? Uh, you're going to be gone for the next couple of weeks. Oh right? my god, yeah, I'm just getting
0: over how shit that film sounds. Um, oh, it's 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 kind of shit, but kind of great. But that's how all these movies you know, kind of. You know, my out. problem with with you know, the, I think the the best and most compelling horror films for me are the ones where there's a, a notable lack of science fiction about them. You know, in terms of oh my god, this could actually happen. Um, Something like the Purge, where on, on on the on the back of a crazy <laughs> year that we've had, I, I'm fully on board with the fact that the Purge could definitely happen in our lifetime. And for anyone who's not seen it, um, you'll correct me on the facts here, Rob, but it's so it's an it's an annual day where there's no laws or is it for twelve hours? There's 12 no. Hours? There's no. There's there's
1: no. It is a 24... If I recall correctly, the Purge. And it's many terrible sequels involve the basic concept that, you know, in this weird dystopian United States, they've decided that in order for people to get their inherent aggressiveness and anger out of their systems, (laughs) that they make this one. I don't even know if it's a 24 hour period or if it's like a 12 hour period that's like overnight where basically murder and all crime is legal. Uh, and you're exempt from any uh, any um, you know any consequence from that. So, uh, what, and what would, you know, your, what would yeah. your approach to the purge be? What would my approach to the purge be? Are you, go- um, are you going locking to- myself in a safe room for twelve to twenty four hours? Would be my would <laughs> be my approach. I'm not having any of that.
0: You've got no inherent level of anger that needs to be expressed, or, or is well, it, this podcast is your medium for that. I imagine. Let me let
1: me say, Mark, that if I was on the same continent and within the same vicinity of, say, James McCarthy, maybe okay. (laughs) Um, But I I just I don't have I don't you know I don't know, man. I don't know that I have. I don't know if I have the rage, the, the the rage quite in me, you know, maybe, 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 maybe for, uh, the, the refer, you know, the, uh, the, if who is the match, the, the, the match official for the game where John Terry was five yards offside and scored, uh, against us, uh, in the 10th minute of seven minutes of stoppage time or whatever, like, you know, I might I might go after the uh, the Premier League referees. Uh, maybe that would be a group that I'd like to take a you know some American justice to. But uh, no, I can't I can't really think of of what I would would want to do. Of, I
0: don't think of Blue Room members that would definitely go on the front foot and just go hell for leather. I, I, I mean, ooh, I think ooh. Les Roberts is on my list of secret secret anger. I think he he'd be the one who goes to the the chainsaw closet and just goes around the world on a rampage.
1: Yeah. Les has got some rage in yeah, there. There's no question. Mate,
0: if you, uh, I've played for you with the guy. Um, you know, over here, we'll have a usual, no slide tackles in what should be friendly after work football matches. But that yeah. guy knows no limits. So I think, I think he'd be the one. I do think that there's like
1: a discussion to be had about, you know, if we found ourselves in the kind of weird dystopian uh, zombie takeover scenario. like, which one of us would, would best survive in that scenario. Um, you know, whereas the purge feels like, Hey, normal society resumes after this 12 to 24 hour period. I think it's 24 hours or whatever. Yeah. Um, if you just get through that, then everything's normal. But like, you know, I think the real test is, is when you, when you know that there is no returning to the old world and uh, you just have to kind of uh, fend for yourself against the undead. Um I, <laughs> I, I am not built for such a scenario. Um, if you've ever seen 28, was it uh, 28 Days Later, uh, which is a, a very British, cl- you know, zombie classic of its own, very own unique style and nature. Like, um, his, he found, he went back to the main character played by, um, oh shit, what's his name? Uh, Peaky Blinders guy. Whose name I can never remember. Um,
0: the main Peaky Blinders guy?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. William Murphy. Killian Murphy. Thank you. He goes back to his old house and he finds his parents in bed and they basically had drank a glass of wine each with some, some pill like they overdosed intentionally on sleeping pills to just kind of kill themselves i'm like and my wife and i were watching that movie and then like we were like yeah that would be us that would absolutely be us we we would take the nice simple safe on, off-ramp because we're not we're not built for dystopian world i i i live in a world where i can push a button and and get food delivered to me and and uh have access to legal marijuana so like why am i gonna i'm not gonna survive a, a zombie apocalypse so, i've seen you, know, you in
0: salt oaks you're a fucking animal and with
1: that uh i think we will end for this week mark you're going to be gone the next couple weeks i don't know who i'm going to have
0: in to uh
1: help me with kickabout but i'm sure i will figure something out
0: well depending Um, on the uh transcontinental wi-fi signal i might be able to join you but i'm not going to uh not going to big your hopes up there we'll we'll we'll, we'll certainly give it a whirl all
1: right well hey i feel like if i can do post-match uh on the uh, California coast uh, where there's barely any cell signal and maybe you'll, you'll find some luck doing kickabout uh, wherever you're going. Uh, Well, Mark, uh, thanks for your time as always. Uh, Enjoy the, uh, you know how we normally say enjoy the Everton free weekend. Uh, I I don't even feel like saying that. Just enjoy your weekend in general, guys. Enjoy the, the break with, uh, with your, with your blues uh fifth in the four we fifth in the table right now is yeah. that where we're at right we're now out. tied joint tied for third if we want to get really uh, generous with our uh assessment there but uh no enjoy the weekend guys be kind to one another and uh we will see you all next week for more kickabout take care um who are you i'm you from the future what do you want i want to tell you about dave dave has your future money spend it on whatever you need with extra cash from Dave, you can get up to 500 bucks instantly with no interest and no credit check. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly for terms and conditions. Go to dave.com legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve.
0: Member FDIC. Sports Social Podcast Network.